You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Cruella. Let me give you some advice. You can't care about anyone else. Everyone else is an obstacle. You care what an obstacle wants or feels you're dead. If I'd cared about anyone or thing, I might have died. You have the talent. Whether you have the killer instinct is the big question. She thought she owned everyone. It's foolish. Unhinged. Well, you're fired. Why are you speaking? I think you've licked me. But there's something about poetic justice that's just so poetic. You won't admit you love me. And so, how do you have a light? To know you always tell me. Get her. This doesn't have to be a scene. It really, really does. Can I remind you all that I'm doing this in heels? Oops. What was your name? Cruella. If you can make your mind up, we'll never get started. I want to make trouble. You in? I do love trouble. a bit of an extreme side. Yes, darling. And what fun that is. She stole my dogs. <laughs> I guess you must hate her. She has made it me or her. And I choose me. Don't worry. There's lots more bad things coming. Alright everybody, you were just listening to a trailer for Cruella and the story is as follows. Set in the 1970s in London during the punk rock movement, the film follows Estella DeVille, an aspiring fashion designer, and explores the path that will lead her to become a notorious criminal known as Cruella DeVille. The film is starring Emma Stone, Emma Thompson, Joel Fry, Paul Walter Hauser, Emily Beecham, Kirby Howell-Baptiste, and Mark Strong. It is directed by Craig Gillespie, and it is written by Dana Fox and Tony McNamara. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Daniel Howitt. Hello. And also joining us as a guest here from Candid Cinema, I have Amanda Garagi. Hey. All right, darlings, let's get ready to talk about Cruella. Very, very excited to dive into this one. And Amanda, welcome to the show. First time having you here. We're very, very excited. And yeah, this is a never this is another Disney villain origin story. Another Disney spin-off. Not necessarily a shot for shot remake, thank God. But I know when this project was initially announced, people were excited because Craig. Gillespie was attached to it. This is his follow-up to I, Tanya, which definitely won him over uh, some new fans. It also reunites him uh, with Paul Walter Hauser, uh, which is quite a bit of fun in that regard. But really, I think what everyone was mostly looking forward to with this was seeing what Emma Stone was going to do in the lead role as the notorious Disney villain. And speaking of notorious Disney villain, you know, the origin story of this character is one also that had a lot of trepidation because at the end of the day, how are we ever going to sympathize with a character who skins and kills dogs? You know, it's like, I, I just, I, I think everyone had a little bit of trouble with imagining what kind of a story 
the mouse house would come up with for this one. Well, it's officially out now in theaters and also streaming on Disney Plus. We have some thoughts about it. Passing it over first to Daniel Howitt. Daniel, what were your initial thoughts on Cruella? Yeah, I mean, there's there's been discourse online about the Disney live action remakes for uh, more than a decade now. So uh, there's going into this movie, there are all sorts of expectations and probably not all of them very good. Uh, I think I think a lot of us agree that most of the live action remakes have not been great uh, or they've been okay at best. And so. Yeah, what are they going to do with Cruella? Thankfully, this one is not uh, a remake um, exactly. You know, it's a prequel. It's doing something a little bit different. And thankfully, that helps Cruella succeed. Uh, it's not a remake, and it does something drastically different from from the Disney mold. The first of all, the mo- the movie's much darker than you might expect it to be. I mean, it, it's it's a Disney movie, but but honestly, it, it doesn't feel like one for the most part. Uh, the characters are unpleasant in 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 the best way emma stone and emma thompson are both incredible i I think stone uh totally makes this character her own which is a a a tough you know a tough challenge when she's going up against uh i think it's fair to say glenn close's uh glenn close's uh portrayal of Cruella de vil is iconic at this point and so she's going up against that and i think she does a phenomenal job making the character her own and then emma thompson I feel like she just had the greatest time making this movie. Uh, she looked like she was eating it up. She looked like she was thriving in this villain role. Um, so it's it's phenomenal. Tonally, the film is so dark, uh, you know, uh, for, for a Disney movie. Visually, it's darker, too. It doesn't look anything like a Disney movie. It's grittier. The, the craft is insane all across the board. Obviously, the costumes are, are getting all the attention because they're phenomenal, magnificent. They're, they're definitely awards-worthy. Uh, but the makeup and hairstyling and production design are all really incredible, too. So it's just a well-put-together film. So it's long. I would say that's my biggest critique is this is a long movie. But overall, I, the, the film succeeds in doing something different, especially compared to the rest of these live-action remakes. I feel like this is closer to capturing the tone. Well, I was going to say it's close to capturing the tone of something like Pirates of the Caribbean. Obviously, they're very different movies, so maybe that, maybe that's a terrible <laughs> comparison. But but what I mean is it's doing something different, um, whereas Beauty and the Beast, Lion King, uh, you know, even Mulan, which I liked and, and, you know, succeeded in a similar way to Cruella in that it was trying to do something different and be PG-13 and all that. It just still kind of felt the same. And I think Cruella just feels different in the best way. So I really liked it a lot. Yeah, I definitely think that hearing you rattle off some of those titles there, I would even throw in something like Maleficent in there also, which I think is going to have probably the most direct comparisons to Cruella as a villain origin story. Those have... um, a more of a glossy CGI kind of shine to them. They they feel like they're manufactured from the uh, place that we commonly refer to as Disney. <laughs> and so as a result, they all kind of feel the same in terms of tone. I, I agree with you, Howard. This movie feels very distinctive in more ways than one, while still carrying that Disney uh, logo across its uh, opening credits there. Tossing it over next to Amanda. Amanda, what did you think of Cruella? Yeah, well, first, thank you for having me. I'm having a blast right now listening to you guys. Um, Cruella was just a lot of fun. It was just so much fun. And I think there's so much you can play with with Cruella as a character. And 
What I love the most about this film is that Emma Stone just went to a very different place. We haven't really seen her play something like this. And like this role was just meant for her. And I felt that it was meant for her. I was kind of apprehensive going into it just because I also thought that like we didn't really need a prequel to Cruella because of how iconic um, um, Glenn Close was in 101 Dalmatians and live action. And I just didn't want that to be touched but Emma Stone just came out swinging and I really just enjoyed her performance like throughout um the only thing that did bother me was the runtime and also this the songs there were way too many songs throughout the movie but every time there was a needle drop I'm like oh my god we're gonna have fun with this one going into the next scene so it was I feel like Cruella didn't really take itself that seriously and they knew that it was just like we're gonna have fun with this amazing badass female villain and we um we know what it is we know what it is and they played around with the fashion it was very stylized from craig gillespie who's a great director i absolutely love i Tanya. and paul walter hauser being reunited with him he was just a joy a joy in this movie too so um yeah, it was just very entertaining. The fashion was fantastic. And Emma Thompson just gave me Miranda Priestly vibes from The Devil Wears Prada. And like the, the storyline mm. kind of um, reminded me of that. So it was just very entertaining. It was fun. It was, it was darker, as we said. Um, but I do think that this is the best Disney live action film. Um, I really love Cinderella and The Jungle Book. Those are my two favorites. But this one's like right up there. It's like top three right now for me. So yeah, I had fun. It was great. And I hope there's a sequel. The Devil wears Prada indeed. <laughs> I agree with you on that one. Not to mention too, there are lots of needles in this movie. <laughs> Needle drops, needles to kill people with, needles to sew, lots of needles. <laughs> Josh, what about you? Well, for me, walking into this movie, I would say that there were like two hurdles that I had to kind of get over because one of them obviously is the whole enterprise of these Disney live action movies that they've been doing recently that I haven't really been that big of a fan of. And also I'm going to be honest, like Craig Gillespie, I'm not that enthused about as a filmmaker. I'm more mixed on his stuff than most people, including I, Tanya. Well, wait a minute. I got to I got to just ask you one question. Cause I agree with you that the film filmography has been a little tad bit inconsistent uh but how do you feel about Lars and the real girl really quickly i don't think i've ever asked you this <laughs> you know I, I remember thinking it was just okay but it's been so long since i have last seen that movie i'm not <laughs> like i don't remember much from it to be honest okay okay fair enough fair enough i just i i didn't know your uh stance on that one and i was just curious please continue <laughs> uh i probably need to rewatch it um but with this one i was pleasantly surprised actually by how much i enjoyed it um it is too long i do think that and god neil drops got on my nerves but (laughs) i like the tone of it i thought that it had a really energetic fun tone and all the performances are really good and it is one of those movies that it has a lot of problems i think you know from a story construction perspective but overall it was entertaining in the moment and I had way more fun than I thought I was going to have and I would 
actually recommend it, surprisingly. It does feel like in many ways Disney saw Itania, called up Greg Gillespie and said, hey, can you do all of that again, <laughs> but just do it with this property? Yeah. I, I, it, it very much feels that way when you're watching this, right? Yeah. Like there's the voiceover from Emma Stone. There is the soundtrack, as we mentioned earlier, that is just filled with all of these rock anthems. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point that, quite frankly, I'm going to just come right out and say the soundtrack also got on my nerves because of two things. One was because so many of the songs were obvious song choices that weren't like discoveries or something where I was like, oh, I, I don't know what that track is. I would like to go and download that all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, 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 I've seen some people say like, it's oh, it's Disney flexing that they have the, you know, the money to purchase the rights to use these songs. I, I'm not going to get too held up on that part of it. But the part that really did grind my gears was that I really thought that Nicholas Brattel wrote a very interesting score for this movie that did fuse punk rock music with his really, really catchy melodies at times. And that got drowned out by the soundtrack. And that really, really bothered me so much to the point that when it got to the end credits, I listened all the way through and I got to hear more of what he was contributing to the movie. And I was like, man, this movie could have just used more of that instead of uh, Jesus Christ, time of the season. Um, one way or another, uh, should I stay or should I go? Smile. When We want to talk about the uh, the Joker comparisons uh, in a little bit here. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh my and God. sympathy for the devil. I mean, Jesus Christ. Like, how much more obvious can you get? I actually really love that one, that needle drop of sympathy for the devil. <laughs> I laughed really hard. I, I guess I didn't realize it was Nicholas Patel until the credits. And I was like, oh, there was a score to this movie? Exactly. Oh, I yeah. Didn't, I didn't really realize that there I was a score. I remember nothing from the score to yeah. this movie. Yeah. It, and I, I went back and listened, and it's 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 really nice. It's a, it's a really solid score, but it's just within the movie, it's like it's non-existent. I agree, Howard. I listened to it after I saw the movie as a standalone because they released it, I think, a week before the movie uh, released this weekend. And I've been listening to it all week. And I, I mean, I'll, I will freely admit I am a Nicholas Patel fanboy. I think that he is going to be in a couple years time on the same level as John Williams and Hans Zimmer. I, I like I, he has not missed in my opinion, as of yet. But yeah, man, it's kind of a shame that, you know, for such a talented guy, uh, his work gets drowned out in this. The other complaint before I start getting to the good stuff is I echo what everyone else here said. There's no reason this movie needs to be two hours and 15 minutes long. Absolutely no reason. And part of that also is because Craig Gillespie's style is so propulsive and so energetic and carries such momentum with it from the editing transitions to the smooth camera movements. I mean, there are scenes in this movie where if the camera is still on a tripod during a dialogue scene or something, it's almost jarring because the entire rest of the movie, that camera is just constantly moving and tracking the characters. Um, But that gets tiring after a while. You know, at least it, at least it does to me. And not to mention, it did just feel like the story was getting dragged out once we predictably knew where it was all going. And even if you didn't predict where it was all going by the end, the ending was, I, I think, a tad too ridiculously convenient in terms of setting up the character as we know her today. Like, it, it just stretched believability to the point where I was like, okay, like, parachute really okay fine <laughs> you know i think this movie tries to 
accomplish a lot within its story. And I think that contributes to the bloat of it. I really do think that there could have been a more streamlined approach that could have kept the same energy and style, but didn't feel like it needed to go in a bunch of different directions. Like it introduces the darlings in very small roles too, then, and they contribute very little to the overall narrative. And it's like they want to do their own thing, but also recognize the hallmarks of the original source material. And I kind of would have preferred them to just really commit to something very original and just really, as I said, streamline the story so that it would have been a lot stronger. They're, they are so pushed into the background, those two characters, that by the time it kind of comes full circle and we get uh, to the end of the film, I, I personally, I, A, I had forgotten that that's how those two characters are supposed to come together. Mm-hmm. And two, I, and the other thing too is also, I just felt like it was kind of, uh insulting in a way that such prominent main characters in the overall 100 dalmatians uh universe we'll call it uh storyline uh were used as these like background characters just so that you know when they come together at the end they're like oh see see yes like this is the lead-in into 101 dalmatians uh there's also optics with uh having anita be um, a black character obviously and having her get uh sidelined as like kind of a sidekick character that other culture writers and journalists and critics have written about in their pieces and definitely you can look up on that i don't think it's you know the best look in the world and i think disney is lately being like very very desperate in their attempts to say hey look at us representation we have gay characters in our movies we've got black characters in our movies where you would think it's going to be a predominantly all-white cast nope so i i I do think that that's uh, something that they have to start doing more organically yeah all all the characters who are actually of any importance in this film are are all white it's yeah it's yeah awkward okay on to the good stuff now (laughs) so the emmas let's start off with the emmas i loved both of their characters in this movie so much especially i I, like because i expected to like emma stone but emma thompson kind of blew me away a little bit with how much she was relishing in the evilness of this character oh yeah like i i do like both of their performances for sure and especially with emma thompson i actually think that performance could have been so easily like even more over the top than she actually is in this movie and she manages to find a way to kind of ground her even in a somewhat over-the-top way so that you're still always entertained by her, but she still seems kind of realistic in this world. And, I, you know, Emma Thompson, great actress, you know, breaking news. (laughs) (laughs) But she, yeah, she's so fun to watch in this movie. I was a little afraid, as Amanda said earlier, that she might come off a little bit as too much like Meryl Streep's character in The Devil Wears Prada at times. Mm -hmm. Um, Because this is a type of performance that... I feel like people will say, oh, we've seen this before. She isn't necessarily doing anything new. And while there is some truth to that, there's still something to be said for how she does strike a balance of tone and manages to make the Baroness a more evil character than we assume Cruella uh, is, was, however you want to interpret it. Because that's, that's that's what they have to do ultimately. They have to set up the Baroness as someone who's even more evil than one of the most evil uh, Disney villains of all time. And that's no easy task to pull off, both from a writing standpoint and also from Emma Thompson's uh, performance. And Emma Thompson's 
trademark wit, like just her as a person, not as an actress. She's one of mm-hmm. the funniest people out there. Mm-hmm. And and I think we don't often get to see that side of her. And so I think she was able to really infuse her comedic timing uh, with this evilness that she had in this film. It was just a perfect combination. I just feel like with both of them, they had so much space to play with their characters. And you could feel yeah. that even with their banter going back and forth. Um, they timed everything perfectly, the looks, the reactions, um, just even like little mannerisms and stuff like that. They really just like went into this character and made it their own. Like you, like you said, you can see like Emma Thompson's comedic timing and like even what Emma Stone did, like her little quips and, and uh, mannerisms in that way. So they made it their own, but at the same time, like they had so much room to like strut their stuff and make it over the top and campy and fun like that. So I think that's where the strength lies for both of their performances. And I still think that this is Emma Thompson's best as well, to be honest. They were they were both fantastic. I love them. You know, it's funny because like Emma Stone, when her character is first introduced into this movie, um, you know, there's a younger actress that's uh, playing her here. And I I, I kind of. <laughs> I thought the, the the decision to uh, have her be born with the black and white hair was both ridiculous and so in keeping with the character that I immediately thought, oh, man, the sea of memes are going to be outrageous for this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she starts off as obviously a totally different person as Estella. And she dyes her hair red. Emma Stone comes into the picture. And we do get... If you really think about it and you like look back on Emma Stone's performance in this film, it really is two performances and one that has to gradually morph into the other. And there are certain things about it that from both a psychological standpoint and also too just from what she's doing with um, the way that she carries herself, her charisma, her voice. The movie gives explanations for all of it. I, I think like one of my favorite moments is when Jasper calls her out for being like, why are you still doing that voice? Like, the gig is over. Like, you don't have to be doing that. And I I liked that the movie had at least a little bit of self-awareness to point out how ridiculous she starts to become. Uh, But in terms of, like, the transition from one character to another, I think Stone expertly navigates that transition very fluidly um, and believably to the point that the arc of that character is one that I, once again... Very, very, very tough challenge to overcome here in terms of audience expectations, but I thought Stone handled it very, very well. She's good, for sure. Uh, I don't know if I would ever say, like, it's an amazing portrayal, and I think part of that is just because the emotional arc of the character is, like, it is subtle, and I think that she does a good job with it, but it is also, I think, a little bit on the basic side. Like, I don't know. To me, this feels like a rather traditional, like, quote-unquote villain arc to me and i don't know if emotionally i ever felt anything that extraordinary in watching her in the film just based on how the character is written but her performance is really good i I do think that she's a lot of fun in the role even though there's a weird thing where she's a kid at first and then they say 10 years have passed and everybody does not look like they are in their like late (laughs) teens or early 20s that was weird but you know she's still good in the role I mean, I'm sure Ben Platt will love this movie as a result of that. <laughs> the, but, but, but I will agree with you, Josh. The writing is obvious. And for Tony McNamara to have screenplay credit on this film, I think I was expecting just a little bit more 
because I love the favorite. I love the great. And I love what he brings to those uh, projects so much that I was hoping some of that would translate here. But instead, we get very, very predictable uh, storytelling, like you said. It isn't necessarily reinventing the wheel or anything like that. And yes, I think um, her performance stones, she does owe a lot to Glenn Close, I think in terms of how she originally portrayed the character. While Stone does make it her own, it's definitely uh, a performance that will inevitably be compared. Um, and God help me for saying this comment right now, but like it reminds me of Joaquin Phoenix doing Joker and standing in the shadow of what Heath Ledger did with the same character. And so there's always going to be bits and pieces taken from previous performances, but, you know... I do think that as long as it's not a direct impersonation, then, you know, it, it can be considered something not necessarily unique, but at least that actors own um, their own take on that character. And, you know, I think Stone pulls it off here um, to the point that, like, I, I agree with you, Josh. I don't think it's one of her best, but I it was better than I was expecting. Let's put it that way, especially for how campy she has to deliver some of these lines and like just the overall like swagger with which she carries herself it could have been very annoyingly over the top and it's not in my opinion i I think she threads the needle right she has to be a in a mainstream disney role uh, so she can't it's you know, this was never going to be an, an Oscar, you know, worthy performance. No, but she does really well with it. She 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 uh, I think she fits the tone of the film really well, uh, especially when it's doing this darker thing for a Disney movie uh, while still having a lot of fun with it. So I think I think she threads the needle. She she brought the right energy, the right amount of entertainment to the role. So I think she did great. Yeah, I mean, she has. um uh, like there are like there are moments in this movie where the film relies on Emma Stone's uh, comedic abilities, yeah. which I also really appreciate too. Definitely, uh, there are some glances and just moments of humor that she has um, in terms of facial expressions. That um, you know that that's a unique quality that Emma Stone, who has worked in comedies uh, before, can bring to a role like this and make it fun and entertaining, even as she starts to become more bad than she already is. Because the movie makes no mistake in telling us up front that she's bad from the very beginning. Yeah, and, and let's not ignore uh, um, Joel Fry and, and Paul Walter Hauser. You know, uh, all, all the focus is on the Emmas, which, I mean, they, they're phenomenal. But I think Joel Fry and, and Paul Walter Hauser bring, uh, bring a great energy to the side characters. I mean... Uh, Hauser is just great. Uh, I mean, his his accent is terrible, but he, but his uh, his comedic timing is good, and just the the bumbling energy that he brings is is excellent. And then I thought that uh, Joel Fry, uh, he brought he brought a nice emotional kind of uh, balance to to her her background crew. So yeah, I thought yeah, he's the moral compass exactly. of 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 her journey. And I'm so glad that the movie does not go in a direction that I thought they were going to go in potentially between their two characters. I'm really, really happy that the film ignores that. It actually makes their relationship even more uh, complex, in my opinion, and more interesting that he is kind of this friend who, you know, has grown up with her and they've gone on these many adventures as thieves together. And, you know, I'm sure that somewhere along the way, like he is somewhat, you know, attracted to her and really cares about her. But he he starts to see what she's becoming and how she's treating both of them as imbeciles, as she refers to them as. And 
yet he can't he can't tie the, uh, he can't he can't tie off those uh, I'm sorry he can't cut those ties with her. So I, I find that to be uh, more interesting than going with uh, any kind of romantic uh, on the nose angle between the two of them. Yeah, I'm really happy they didn't go that route. And like that scene on the balcony, I was kind of worried. Yes. <laughs> um, so I just, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy they, they didn't go that far with them. But I also really love the fact that they show that you choose your family um, after everything that each of them have gone through and that they are, you know, going around like robbing people since they were kids and then they grew up together. So I've always been, um, I've always kind of gone towards that storyline and respected it. I love seeing it on screen. So to be able to choose your, your, uh, your family as your friends, I think that it was, uh, it was a really good angle for the three of them. Is it a Disney film if there isn't some sort of a mommy or daddy issue that's plaguing the uh, main character? Like, is it really a Disney film at that point? <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I kind of, I really do wish they would break away from that a little bit more because it does seem like every time we get any one of these origin movies or really like I'm telling you, like almost any Disney story of any kind, it always stems from something tragic happening to the lead characters, uh, parents in some way or another. And it's like from a storytelling standpoint, like I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm craving a little bit more from that. But this movie does a really good job of masking all of that with its design elements, the campy performances and Gillespie's own style that he brings to the story. Well, and that's also, I think an issue that I kind of have even with this movie that I am overall positive on, but while you're watching it, you can't really ever completely disregard some of the Disney hallmarks and the sheen that, still feels very glossy even when they're trying to be gritty and that's just something that these movies will always have and it can never really be truly like this bold original statement but i think this one does enough as you said matt to kind of mask some of those um elements that can be off-putting and does manage to create a mostly standalone film that is very entertaining in the moment it still has the disney sheen to it and I don't think that's ever going to be like disregarded with these movies, but I think that there is enough creativity within at least the style, the presentation and the performances that it works overall. I mean, we said this when the uh, initial trailer dropped, it did feel like the marketing of this film and its style that it was going for was really trying to cater less towards like family friendly entertainment affair and more towards like DC comics, uh, grunge Harley Quinn inspired like girl power, you know, where they could sell merchandise in black, white and red at hot topic, <laughs> you know, and uh, all these angsty teenagers will have their uh, Disney uh, villain hero, anti-hero that they can like worship now on any of their merchandise in high school moving forward. Uh, like I, I, you know, I don't necessarily have a problem with that so much, but it has inadvertently invited comparisons to characters like Harley Quinn and the Joker um, that I, I do. F I think it's a little unfortunate that uh, that comparison has kind of invited itself into the conversation due to the style and marketing of this film. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. 
From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death Ready. of a Film Star. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs. Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. See you soon. I, I don't know. I think it's mainly just because of Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. I think be, the, the timing between those two, even though they were produced at the same time, so they they couldn't really, you know, Cruella couldn't really truly be influenced by that one. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's it's a little silly. I've, I've also seen people, uh, uh, people a lot, a few people responded to my review of Cruella saying oh, it should have been Margot Robbie, um, which you know you can see that. I think the that's just the Harley Quinn asks. Uh, uh, comparisons coming out like you said but uh, i i think this is honestly disney just doing its own thing i don't i i personally when i watch the film don't don't feel like it's trying to be dc comics trying to be harley quinn or anything like that so i think people are just reading into it well what do you guys think about its decision because in my opinion this was a very unique angle to take this story in what do you guys think of the decision to have this set in the 1970s punk rock era of you know the uk and have it inject this film with a sense of rebellious uh energy from the soundtrack to the costume design to the fact that she has a fashion stow on a rock stage with instruments and stuff i mean like this movie definitely in terms of its approach to the story um it it was an angle i was not expecting well i mean i I think the punk uh, element of this movie is more in aesthetic than actual story. Um, I mean, also, like, the soundtrack is not punk. Those are all, like, very popular (laughs) songs of the era. There are no punk songs, really, in this movie. Um, And, like, yeah, she's rebelling, but I I don't know. To me, it still felt very trapped in kind of traditional ways of storytelling that it really to me felt like the punk was more so just an influence on style and not really thematically relevant at least that's how i interpreted it uh the other thing too that you know i think that and if we're going to talk about style here for a moment is we got to talk about the costumes and the other design elements of this movie because dear god <laughs> i mean Obviously, there are going to be more costume design contenders to come out later in the year. But right now, uh, this is in the uh, position that something like Emma uh, was in last year, where it's that early release contender where the costumes are such a standout, overwhelmingly so, that 
Uh, there is no doubt in my mind that this is a surefire nominee, at least in that one category come Oscar time. And it could even win. Uh, the whole thing, uh, even if it won't have a corresponding uh, Best Picture nomination. I think the costumes in this movie are so over the top, so extravagant, and also too rebellious, as we mentioned before, in how they are not just your typical like fashion wear of the time period, but they have a very imaginative quality uh, to them that makes them really stand out. And I, I think that's going to work magic over uh, some Academy voters. Well, and it's a movie yeah, about I, I, costumes, too. You know, it, it mm-hmm. is. Yeah. Uh, you know, the costumes are, at many points, plot devices within the actual narrative, which only elevates their importance and significance even more. And, I mean, yeah, all hail, uh, you know, bow at the altar of Jenny Baven. Uh, she's amazing. The costume work in this movie is absolutely extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. I, I loved it. I thought they did such a great job. And um, I just think that, like, even with the rebellious aspect of it and, like, the whole punk edge, um, it was just the side of Cruella that was, like, waiting to creep out of Estella. I felt like that's how I kind of interpreted the entire thing like the production design the music all of that and the fact that the costumes even had that edge and she was creeping out um I think that's why it really worked but yeah I think that it could definitely win (laughs) come Oscar time because it was just so like they had so much fun even with the costumes and to even have like the same like coloring like red and blacks and and whites that are very prominent for Cruella I thought it was really interesting yeah, I think it's actually in a much better position than something like Emma, which of course did get the nomination. Uh, but that was a that was a relatively small film that didn't have a huge audience, and this is a major film from Disney um, that is centered around costume design. So um, yeah, of course we have tons of year left, so making big you know big sweeping claims is pretty <laughs> stupid, but. Uh, it's very hard for me to picture this not getting a nomination. Like, that's really hard for me to believe that this wouldn't get nominated. And yeah, potentially could win. What do you guys think of uh, production design, makeup, hairstyling, uh, any other elements of this film ranging from even editing, uh, really just any anything from a design element standpoint? I did like the production design. I, I think that is the next strongest element to it. Um, it it's... I don't think that it is like as flashy as the costume work, but it really does a good job of setting the tone and style over all of the film. Uh, I think that is the next best element that I really responded to. Especially um, the attic area that Horace, Jasper and uh, Estella uh, live in, uh, which I think is, you know, obviously massive. Um, it's bigger than any New York apartment that I've ever seen before or <laughs> anything like that. But uh, there's still so much going on in there in terms of like uh, in one corner of the room, it'll look totally different than another corner because they're all like kind of occupying different uh, areas in that space. So I really, really like that. And I also love the um, design showroom floor uh, that uh, Emma Thompson uh, has with all of her staff. Uh, there, there were definitely a couple of uh, elements to it that didn't necessarily draw attention to itself, but really, really uh, fit the tone of the film. And uh, I I thought was not as over the top as, uh, say, something like the costumes were, but just blended into the background very, very well, you know? Yeah, I I think the production design does a good job of not feeling like a set. Um, I think that's a lot of times some of these Disney live action films can feel either drowned out by CGI 
or feeling like they're shooting on a soundstage. Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> exactly. And so I, I think a lot of times throughout this movie, I, I was expecting that the entire time and was constantly surprised at how real all of the set pieces felt, for, at least for the most part. It, it, it all felt natural, felt like they were maybe shooting on location. I doubt that they did, but, but it, it really felt like that throughout. And the makeup and hairstyling, too, uh, is also, I think, an unsung hero of this movie. The costumes are obviously getting all of the praise, and deservedly so. But I think that, you know, the hair color for Cruella, the, the red lipstick, and just overall, like, the makeup of what they're doing on both Emma Stone, Emma Thompson, and even a bunch of other uh, characters outside of them um, is very, very subtle, uh, but still pretty impressive work. Uh, once again, it's not the element that I think is drawing the most attention to itself. I think the costumes, because they are so entwined with the narrative of, uh, of the film overall, they, they have to be the thing that draws the most attention. Uh, but everything else uh, around it there, uh, surrounding it there, I think is... I, I think it's pretty I think it's pretty worthy work. Um, is it blowing me away? Not necessarily, but I still think it's very, very solidly well done. I mean, Paul Walter Hauser in drag alone. Sells it. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. What do you guys think of the CGI dogs? Because there were times where I thought they were good and times where I thought they were honestly really bad. Yeah, they didn't look that great to me, yeah. but I think they're so minimal actually in like the overall story that it didn't like whenever they showed up i didn't ever think that they looked convincing but it was like well i mean okay fine whatever that's what we have to do and we'll just move on and it's not going to be in the movie a ton and i can just focus on the other elements that i do really like i like her dog uh yeah. buddy i thought the cgi on buddy both as a infant dog and as a uh, adult dog w was really well done it's the, it's the dalmatians for me that i thought was like just Mm, like they seemed to be I, I don't know if it's just the fur element didn't seem convincing or if it was uh, the size of them the teeth I, I don't know what it was but something about it just screamed oh that's clearly CGI and not real at all I, I feel like they had to kind of make the Dalmatians more vicious because they're not supposed to be vicious in real life and in animation you can kind of like change that so I think mm -hmm. that's why they had to CGI them a bit more it didn't bother me as much with the other puppers, but like with the Dalmatians, it was more distinct, I think. So that was the only thing that it did bother me a bit, but it would, didn't, you know, affect the rest of the movie. And because this has been a topic of conversation the last 24 hours on uh, social media, the Dalmatian attack earlier on in the movie, I will definitely agree with most people that are seeing that clip out of context that that was very over the top. Very ridiculous, silly even, uh, that I immediately took points off for that moment because it was supposed to be a very big dramatic moment. I thought it was just terribly executed. However, however, there was a scene later on that provides some additional context that it didn't make it necessarily um, still a great moment for me, but it kind of was a wash. I was like, okay, I'm going to... I'm going to I'm going to go back to where I was before in terms of my assessment of all of this. And, you know, I'm not I'm not rating this movie any higher because of that storytelling decision. But I'm, I'm, I'm forgiving it for making me believe that that was a very, very over the top moment earlier. Wow. I, I can't believe film Twitter took one clip from a movie out of context that they haven't seen and made a judgment call on the entire storyline. Marriage story says hello. <laughs> 
Uh, but yeah, in terms of like the story then and the relationship between the two Emmas and I, I, yeah, I, uh, I don't know. Like I'm mixed on it. Like I, I, I'm mixed on it. Like I thought it was good for what it was, but what it was was something that I thought was tired, predictable. And quite frankly, I wanted just a little bit more originality was all. Um, I also don't know, and guys, tell me if I'm right or wrong on this, because there are so many people who feel that the character of Cruella is one that we should not sympathize with under any circumstances whatsoever. How do you feel about the movie's overall assessment of her character and where you think the the movie wants us as an audience to leave uh, with, with her by the end? Are we supposed to see her as a hero? Are we supposed to be mixed on her? Are we supposed to view her as a pure villain? How do you think the movie is telling us to feel about Cruella? Well, what's interesting for me is that I, for most of the time I was watching this movie, I wasn't even really thinking about it as an origin story for a particular character, even though that's the whole reason for this movie existing. Because I think for the most part, it actually tries to carve out somewhat of an original path. And I think that's the strongest elements to this film. And I think people get hung up on thinking of the actual history of this character. And I do think that that's when your sympathies towards her can get kind of muddled. But I, and that's why I sort of wish that this was just completely like an original character. Cause I think when it operates sort of with that mentality, as I think a lot of this movie actually does, that's when I'm just enjoying the arc of this character, or at least maybe the performances and the style around this character, maybe not so much the writing. Cause I do think that's the weakest part when we have to like draw the connecting line back to the original character and come back to all of those preconceived expectations. That's when I think your emotional connection starts to get a little bit more complicated and it becomes unnecessarily messy at that point. And I think if you just try to think of this as like, not really connecting back, but just really consider the movie in the moment and with this these characters in this particular setting, I think it works much stronger. Reminds me very much of Joker. In that <laughs> regard. That's a different I conversation. <laughs> if the movie was called anything else, that was the criticism I heard getting thrown at that yeah, film well, a Joker lot at the was time. Called something else. It was called Taxi Driver and the <laughs> <laughs> Another conversation, which we've had before. But I completely agree with with, uh, what you were saying, Josh. I think think that this movie operates strongest when we're able to connect with Cruella a little bit more uh, than seeing her as a straight-up villain who murders dogs. Um, So... I think that's actually why, you know, a lot of people are clamoring for for sequels. I'm I think that's where it would start to fall apart a little bit for me, because I think we would we wouldn't be able or it would be dumb if we were able to connect with Emma Stone's character uh, with with Cruella in future films. And so I think we would start to disassociate and we'd be left with some of the characters that didn't get fleshed out in this film who didn't seem very exciting so, you know, I think it would really start to fall apart if we actually have to consider her as a murderous, you know, villain. I mean, ask yourselves this question. Did Maleficent 2 work as well as Maleficent 1, in your opinion? I, I mean, that would also have to <laughs> come with the question, did Maleficent 1 work at all? Right. <laughs> fair, fair, fair. I, but, I, but I think to Dan's point, like, I, I could see th- this works or for some people just barely works. 
But if they were to continue from here, the only way that it then works is if your sequel is a full-fledged remake of a 101 Dalmatians. That's it. And that's when we start getting into the expectations, preconceived notions, shot for shock remade aspect of what we don't want from these Disney movies. But here's something that gives me a little bit of hope that we won't get a sequel from this. Um, the fact that we're still in, um, I'll say, late stage pandemic times. Uh, the box office for this movie is not going to be as strong as it would have been had there not been a pandemic, in my opinion. And that might might deter uh, some Disney executives from greenlighting a sequel, maybe. It's a little tough to say. Well, we also don't know what the Disney Plus premiere access numbers are going to be like either, though. Right. Amanda, what do you think? Yeah, um, I, I completely agree. Like, you would have to do a complete remake of 101 Dalmatians, especially considering what happened in the post credit scene. Um, but even with Emma Stone and her version of Cruella, I do think that she still is a villain by the end of this and that you don't really sympathize with her that much at the end of this film. Um, and we have to remember that like, if this is an attachment to Glenn Close as Cruella, she can't really go full mad as much as like Glenn Close did. So um, I'm happy with the way it ended. If we do have a sequel to this, I, I wouldn't be opposed to it just because it would be nice to do it, uh, considering what happened in the post credit scene. So, um, yeah, I think box office would have kind of projected if we were going to get a sequel, like you said. Uh, but the Disney premiere access numbers... They've been doing so well, especially what we saw with like Raya and The Last Dragon. It did extremely well on Disney Premier Access. So I don't know. It's tough to say. I don't I wouldn't mind it just because I would love to see Emma Stone as Cruella again. But uh, either way, this one this one set up the character quite nicely and uh, I appreciated what they did with it. Okay, so then for final thoughts on Cruella, tossing it over to Daniel Howard first. Uh, do you have anything that you want to reiterate or anything uh, new do you want to add? Uh, not not anything crazy new. I think that uh, if the Golden Globes were still around, I do think Emma Stone would be would she'd be in play for for a, a comedy actress nomination. Um, so you know, I it's a we're entering this new world where we don't know uh, what will happen with the globes. We don't know, you know, what's going to happen to the movies that need that glow push. Obviously, like I said, there's there was never a chance that this would ever be a, an Oscar worthy uh, performance. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's a it's a little bit disappointing to, to not see some of these roles that could have gotten some minor awards attention in other ways from the globe. So you don't know what you got till it's gone. So there you go. Josh Parm. Um, just a couple things I wanted to mention. One, I think my favorite like moment of just pure comedy that got the biggest laugh out of me was when uh, Cruella is first, uh, or Estella at that point, is first hired at the... Um, Liberty of London. Yeah, the Baroness, and they're presenting all of the, the, cost, or the gowns for the very first time, and Emma Thompson takes out that razor and starts cutting everything, and she nicks <laughs> Emma Stone, and she like yelps. And then Emma Thompson just says, why did you speak? <laughs> it was so funny. It felt like a line from The Favorite. It, it, the, like pure comedy got the biggest laugh out of me. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the other thing I just want to mention is another element that has been subject of a lot of discourse with this movie has been the character of Artie. Mm -hmm. 
And I love that character. Like, I actually think that that's, like, um, that character is really fun and inventive and interesting. But obviously, it's been the subject of, is this yet another, quote-unquote, first gay (laughs) Disney character? And I'm of two minds about it, because on the one hand, I don't think that character actually ever, like, explicitly says that they're out. I think it is just heavily implied. And I can understand why it would be heavily implied. But I don't even think that character ever explicitly says their identity and for the kind of overall culture to co-opt their identity and to market it as like something to be proud of, I think is a little disingenuous. Right. But at the same time, the style and the coding of that character is very explicit. And I do like that presence being in the film. And I like the energy and the banter that he has with the Cruella character and it's a net positive I think it's a little disingenuous how they employ the optics um, of marketing that character with this film but Mm -hmm. in the story itself I did like his presence all right Amanda yeah um I I have to add that I loved Emma Stone's laugh as Cruella. I feel <laughs> every time I heard it, I was like, oh my God, she did it. This is amazing. She did it. And it's kind of on par with like Angelina Jolie's laugh as Maleficent, because that was also very well done. So I just I it, it still rings in my head when I when I think about Cruella. So uh yeah, I loved her laugh. I thought she did a great job. And this is something that did overstay its welcome with the runtime, but I just had a complete blast with it. And I would love to be Corolla for Halloween this year. (laughs) Uh, Final thoughts from me. Um, I thought the casting of the kids as young Horace and Jasper was uh, pretty spot on. I really, really enjoyed that a lot. I think that her boss at the Liberty of London is hilarious in how much he's trying to hold back his rage every time he like talks to her. Like he's trying to be like proper and snooty, but like you can tell he's just seething underneath, ready to explode. And I just thought that actor was doing some really, really uh, fun comedic work there. Emma Thompson's uh, entrance in this movie, the first time you see her, is just such a iconic, jaw dropping. Uh, moment that I'm uh, like I, I I just think it's full fledged like embracing its camp aspects and I really really just love that the film uh, has such a reverence for how glorious Emma Thompson and these outfits can be at times. Really also love uh, Emma Stone's entrance at the uh, party, uh, the black and white party, and she has the red dress. I know we saw that in the trailer, but still seeing it executed here in the film, I thought it worked really, really well, and the design of it was really gorgeous. Speaking of gorgeous, um, I have uh, a line here that I really, really liked uh, where they say, aren't they gorgeous and vicious? It's my favorite combination. <laughs> and then like in terms of like some other... Really, really good lines. I love the moment where like Emma Stone and this is like a great example of like Stone and Thompson's back and forth where um, Cruella tells the Baroness, I'm going to kill you and your dogs. And then the Baroness just replies, I'm waiting. I just like, oh, I I loved Mm -hmm. just matching those two up uh, like that. But then there is another line that I really, really don't like because it gets often overused in movies that every time it gets any kind of variation, I, I'm always just like rolling my eyes and I'm very, very disappointed that screenwriters are still continuing to use it. And it's when the uh, the two Emmas are on the balcony together and she says to her, we are very alike, I suppose. And I'm like, oh, God, how many times do I have to hear characters say, you know, we are alike, you and I. Or like, it's just like, God, like, really? Like, I, I just feel like I hear that all the time in everything. 
between a protagonist and an antagonist, and it just always bothers me. Um, and let's also not forget, uh, because this is a life lesson, I suppose, a well-cut skirt is a lifesaver, girls. Remember that. <laughs> uh, and then my last few little little tiny things here. I don't know if it was CGI or if it was a stunt, but Paul Walter Hauser falling off the balcony into the cake uh, was pretty awesome, I thought, especially if it was a stunt. Um, if that was a stunt, I really, really liked that it was done in a wide shot, and God bless that stunt man if that's true. It looked like a stunt to me. Yeah, and then um, the eggs in the dress hatching and the bugs eating the dresses in the vault was awesome. And part of the reason why it was so awesome is because Nicholas Bertel's score was really, really, really prevalent in that moment and really, really sold how great that one upsmanship really was. And I, I just enjoyed the hell out of that. That's kind of it. All right. So um, definitely stronger than I thought it was going to be. Definitely flawed. Way too long. Um, but in the end, I'm pretty positive on this one. I'm going a 7 out of 10. I really enjoyed this more than I ever expected to. And I would say, you know, bar barring uh, some rewatches, which, quite frankly, I really don't want to have to do, um, I would place this at the top or near the top of the Disney live action films as of late. Daniel, what about you? Yeah, I am a strong 7. Um uh, I think the runtime is really one of the only things that knocks it down from an eight to a seven, but I'll, I'll stick with a seven for now. Uh, and yeah, I agree. Uh, um, I, I, same with you. There are some that I haven't really rewatched uh, in a long time. I remember really enjoying Cinderella, but haven't watched it uh, probably since it came out. Um, so that's the only one that's just not really fresh in my mind. But yeah, uh, aside from rewatching that, I think that this is, this is quite easily the best Disney uh, live action remake. Amanda? Yeah, I'd, I'd give it a 7.5 out of 10. I really enjoyed it. Oh, wait, wait, wait. We don't do 0.5s. Got to go with either <laughs> a 7 or an 8. I was going to sneak it in there, damn. Um, <laughs> I'll be then, uh, yeah, I'll give it an 8. I'll give it an 8 out of 10. Okay. I, had a, I had a complete blast watching it. And yeah, like it, it would be higher, to be perfectly honest, but the runtime, the needle drop, some songs didn't work. And I think that's what bothered me the most. And yeah, I would love to have have heard a bit more of the of the score to be perfectly honest as you said Matt. so um yeah I'd, I'd give it an eight i'd watch it again and it's definitely high up there top three for me for disney live action josh uh i am also going to give it a seven out of ten i think that the script is the biggest issue that i have with it i think that contributes to a lot of the padding and the bloat to this movie but overall i had a fun time with it much more than i expected to and I probably would rank it pretty high in the Disney live action movies, although I don't think that's necessarily like a great accomplishment considering all that they've produced lately. Um, but I would rank it, I think, near the top. I think that the Cinderella remake really got the essence of their original material well and was also fun. And also to me, like I really did love Pete's Dragon, but you know, Shocker, the one directed by David Lowry, is the one that I really liked. <laughs> so, um, but this one I think has enough originality to it that kind of justifies its production while still not being completely perfect. So, like, seven out of ten is a very solid movie and definitely a recommendation for me. All right, we talked a little bit about it earlier. I do think that this movie is capping out Oscar-wise with costume design, production design, makeup, and hairstyling. I do not see anything else for it outside of that. You know, it's like I was thinking to myself uh, while watching it, if Emma Thompson had 
um, a very big scene, you know, something like really, really big. I thought that she could possibly be in play for supporting actress. But the only way that that would be happening now at this point is if um, people really, really uh, within the Academy embrace this film in a major way, like exceeding our expectations. And the field would have to be very, very weak. Otherwise, I think it's just capping out at those uh, three tech nominations. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I totally agree. Like I said, I'd be shocked to see costumes not make it. Um, I do think make when hairstyling production design have a shot, you know, I, I yeah, it's not as strong. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's, it's, there's certainly a world where it doesn't get nominated for either of those. Um, you know, there's also an original song in there. There's nothing really to write home about. I, I guess if it's a weak field that could be in play, but I, I'm not considering that. a. Real oh, I, I, I don't think so. Not for the kind of, not for the kind of songs that that branch typically goes for. No way. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I, the only one that I am 100% sure is going to happen is a nomination for costumes. Like we said, production design and makeup could be in the conversation, but I really don't think they're really going to happen. And even like a costume design win, because this movie is really going to, I think, only be focused on that one category, I don't think that means it's going to translate to a win, but it definitely will be nominated. Yeah, yeah, no, I I totally agree that it'll probably just be costumes. I can't really see it being nominated for anything else other than that. But uh, the costume, yeah, I would just go with the costumes. We'll see what else happens <laughs> uh, this year. But uh, I think that it does have a chance because they were just so well done. All right. Well, that'll do it here for our review of Corella on the Next Best Picture podcast. Amanda, tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet. And thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me, guys. This is a blast. Um, you guys can find me over at AMX NDA Reviews on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. You can check out my YouTube over at Candid Cinema and my website, CandidXCinema.com. All right. Daniel Howitt? You can find me on Twitter at HowittDK. Josh Parham. You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And you can find me in Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts, and we are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. If you want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, write us a review, leave us a comment, rate us five stars, anything less than that is unacceptable, feel free to do so. And if you're feeling even more generous, you can head on over to Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Exactly.
life sucks as a grown up. All right, you think that was good enough? I, I hope so, man. I'm tired. <laughs> Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I, I, I've never done it. <laughs> <laughs> no, right.